The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. This morning's scripture is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and the night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and the righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may be seated. If you are between kindergarten and fifth grade and you want to go to children's church, you can go to the back with our volunteers. What a sweet moment. The grandfather baptized his own granddaughter. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. If this is your first time, my name is Jared. I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we're so glad that you're here with us. We've planted this church in order to be a safe place for those who don't yet know Jesus, who are still wrestling with their doubt, who don't know what they think about Christianity, who have serious and strong questions that need to be answered. We've also planted this place for those who do know Jesus but feel burned out, feel Like they've sort of lost the care they once had when they became a Christian. And so this is a place where uh, it's okay that you're not okay. And we say that often here. But I just want to let you know, whatever it is that you bring into this room, it's welcome here. Because we believe that our God has the grace and the strength to deal with our difficulties. This text that we're about to focus on is because this year we're going to try and read our Bibles together. As Ben mentioned earlier, we're going to try and read through the New Testament And you're going to fall behind. I guarantee I'm going to fall behind. But the idea is is that if we want to grow, if we want to see God work among us, we want to pour pour ourselves into the means of grace uh, and not just talk about it, but do it. And so we would love for you to join us. We've got these really cool journals that are coming, which will tell you which passage we're on. Maybe you would make it your goal that you would uh, keep up with us Uh, for as much of the year as you can as we read through the New Testament together. And we'll have those journals for you soon. 
So in light of the fact that we're going to be reading through the New Testament together this year, we want to talk about Psalm 19. Why pour ourselves into a book which seems so outdated? Does God still speak to you? Be careful how you answer. Our first instinct as people of faith is to say, yeah, God talks to me. And if I were to say, how? Why? We would get really shy and embarrassed quickly. We would admit that we have questions that we're not sure there are good answers to. We would admit that we don't follow Him in the ways that we should. Does God talk to you? Well, let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You for Your Word, for Your Holy Spirit. And I pray by Your kindness now, You would move in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit. For those who feel far off, would you encourage them and draw them near? For those who feel beaten down by their own disobedience, by their own sin, by their own struggle or addiction, I pray that you would give them hope. God, we know that we don't talk to you the way that we should or with the frequency that we should, but we are so grateful that you talk to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, we were on a staycation in Houston where I was a pastor there, and it was the 4th of July weekend. We had spent much of the summer at the pool, and they had kept warning us that they were changing out the key card and that we needed to go to the office during business hours and get the new key card. And we kept thinking, yeah, we'll go do that. We'll go do that at some point. We'll go do that. And they kept saying, okay, it's coming, though. The the old key card isn't going to open this thing. And we're like, okay. So we have friends in town, and we all gather together at our house in Houston, and we get everybody ready for the pool. And you know what it's like to get little kids ready for the pool. It takes about two weeks. You have to start putting on sunscreen. You have to make sure everybody has everything they need and a snack. And so we finally leave our house and we're headed to the pool. And it's this high privacy fence. And you can't see the pool from the park where you enter. And we've got everybody. We've got the floats. We've got kids out of car seats. We're carrying bags and towels. And all of a sudden, we get to the gate, and it occurs to us, time is up, and we do not have the key card we need to enter the pool. And I look at Erin, and I realize the office is not going to be open on July 4th. And she looks at me and realizes we do not have a key to get into this. And so we start to look to our friends and kind of nod to the fact that we are not going swimming today. My son Knox, who is about three at this time, He starts to realize what's going on and that there's no way that we're going to get into the pool. And we start to tell the kids and we're like, I'm so sorry, we'll do it another time. We're not going to be going to the pool. As we're standing in front of the pool gate with all of our stuff and my three-year-old Knox, my redhead, falls to his knees and says, God, answer me. Open these doors. Jesus, answer me. Help us. And of course, the door did not open that day. And we all went back home in knocks and tears. And I could feel myself in that moment sort of shooing knocks away, going, knocks, knocks. As if I were saying, God doesn't answer prayers like that. God doesn't involve himself in the affairs of, our, of us like that. As we were driving home, it started to trouble me that how many other things in my life have I concluded that God doesn't answer me like that. God doesn't listen to me. God doesn't 
take seriously what I have to offer like that. That I can't just pray about the common things that go on in the world. I can't just ask God to move. The question I have for you is, what areas of your life do you just assume the silence of God? Maybe it's in certain pains that you've struggled through or, or difficulties that you've been through, or maybe it's in how to grow and change. But what are the pains that you have, focused, that you have experienced that you just assume that God is silent? As if you've said to your heart, no, 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 God doesn't speak to things like that. Friends, we all struggle to listen to God's voice. But because of what Christ has done, we must rest in Christ Jesus. We all struggle to listen to God's voice, but because of what Christ has done, we must rest in Christ Jesus. So there's just three things that I want to show you this morning. God speaks through His world, God speaks through His word, and God speaks through His Son. God speaks through His world, God speaks through His Word, and God speaks through His Son. First of all, God speaks through His world. If you would, please look with me in the text. And we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4 to begin. God speaks through His world. Verse 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. The Bible is saying here is that God speaks to us through his creation, through the very things that he has made. You can tell what God is like because of the things that he has made. He speaks consistently. It says day to day, over and over again is the sense, night to night he reveals knowledge. Meaning you can count on the fact that God is communicating day in and day out, night in and night out. But he also speaks extensively. The proof of, the God, of God, the breadth of the testimony about God. He says this in four. Their voice goes out through all the earth in their world, in their words, to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. God speaks through his world consistently and extensively. You all have experienced this. Whether it's a sunrise or a sunset, whether it's a hike through the mountains, whether it's seeing snow fall and crystallize on branches, you see that God takes his work of being our God very seriously, that he communicates very powerfully about who he is. You can tell what God is like because of the world that he's made. There was this restaurant that we got taken to one time in Houston. It was called Uchi. Uchi was this very, very famous sushi restaurant where this guy had perfected the craft of putting together sushi. And in fact, what you would do is you wouldn't even go in and order. You would go in and do the chef special, which means he's the one who gets to decide what you're going to eat. And I'm telling you that 
when you would taste these things, they would bring them out in different forms. They would bring some of it out in a jar and there would be smoke around it and then you would open the jar and take the piece of sushi out and eat it and you would think, I never had taste buds until today. This is incredible. And what it would make you think is, where in the world did this person learn how to cook? Where did this chef learn how to put these things together? The thing itself was so beautiful, it would cause you to think about the chef and how hard he must have worked. It's a picture of what God is like when you see the creation, the beauty, the magnitude of all of the things that God has made. It makes you think about how good and powerful God must be like. Norman Geisler once said this, there may be some theoretical chance that wind and rain erosion could produce the face of four presidents on the side of a mountain. But it's still far more reasonable to assume that an intelligent sculptor created Mount Rushmore. What he's saying is, is that as you look at the beauty, the complexity of the human eye, of all of the things that God has given us, when you look at those things, it's far more reasonable to assume that an intelligent sculptor created us. The reason that I tell you that is the world tries hard not to see God's hand at work. Maybe it's because of difficulties people have faced in their past or hard things from their story. Maybe it's because of a hard heart. But King David is saying here that you cannot miss God's signature in everything. So he communicates through his world. He does so consistently, extensively, but also powerfully. Look in 4 and in 6a. He says, Their voice goes throughout all the earth, and in their words to the end of the world, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. What he's saying is that God's work in this world through creation is powerful. We see this in the New Testament in Romans. It says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that they have been made. So they are without excuse. The most powerful thing in their existence, the sun, David says, yeah, God put it on a little track and watches it. What he's saying is that God is in control of his creation, that God has moved in such a way that we can actually know him through the world. So as you consider your doubts, as you consider the hard questions that all of us have at some point, how could one God make all this? How could one God move in such a way that we could actually even begin to know he's like? Is it more reasonable to consume that, to assume that all of this happened randomly or that there's some significant sculptor at work in the background? He hasn't hidden himself. What that should lead us to is humility and awe. Meaning God wants to be known. And he wants to know you. Well, secondly, we'll say this. God speaks through his word. Look with me in verses 7 through 10. 
So he's spoken through his world, and now he speaks through his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So God's saying, you will hear my voice if you look at creation. And he's also saying, you will hear my voice. You will know what I'm like if you pour yourself into God's word. He says that he's perfect, he's faithful, he's reliable, he's holy, he's clean, and he's true. He's sure, he's right. It's like gold, it's sweet. He shows us how to live. It says that it revives the soul, it makes one wise, it brings joy to one's heart, enlightens our eyes, can be counted on. The shaping of our desires. The question for us, is that how we feel about God's word? If you're like me, admit it. Doesn't it feel like a chore? Doesn't it feel like just one more thing that you have to do? Like, oh yeah, good. if I'm a good Christian, if I'm a good little boy or girl, I need to do my devotions. And my whole of Christianity, my whole identity in Christ is based upon whether or not I've done my devotions. One of my favorite pastors says that we think of the Bible, we think of holiness as like broccoli from the sky. Like we know it's good for us, but none of us really want it. And what David is saying here is that we have to change everything we think about it. How are we going to want to read God's word? How are we going to want to pour ourselves into it as if we think of this, this task that none of us really want to do and we're not sure it's going to do that much for us, but we might as well go ahead and do it. David says, look at how beautiful it is, how it revives the soul, how it teaches us wisdom, how it teaches us purity. It challenges us. God did not give us the Bible to ruin your party. He gave it to you to give you a meaningful, wonderful way to live. One of my my seminary professors has woken up for more than 50 years every single day to make his wife breakfast. The day that he told us that in class, Aaron and I were in a disagreement because she was asking if I would shave my beard more often so that my uh, whiskers wouldn't scratch her face when I kissed her. And here I am in a fight with my young wife about whether or not I should shave more often, and my seminary professor is telling me over 50 years he's made his wife breakfast every day. And that holiness, that sacrificial attitude that he has towards his wife, it convicted me. But not because I wanted to feel shame or I felt it was so bad. It it gave me a better way to live, a better way to think. Even though I have a beard right now, I guess that doesn't prove the point. But it gave me this idea, how beautiful would it be to be that faithful of a husband? that sacrificial, that, that kind, that thoughtful. And that's what Scripture does. It's, 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 not, it's not this thing that's supposed to be a burden to you. It's the thing that's supposed to lift your chin and cause you to look out and think, what if I could follow God in a way that it blessed others? What if I could follow God in a way that it was an encouragement to others? Change the way you think about His Word. That it would craft you into something other-centered, Something soft and strong and faithful and kind and loving. 
not to bum you out, but to transform your life. That's why he gave it to us. And he speaks to us in his world and he speaks to us in his word. He also shows us how not to live. Look in verse 11. It kind of warns us of the dangers that can come. He says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. It warns you from trouble ahead. And then in 12, it exposes sin. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant back also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. If you're like me, we hate our sin so much and we wrestle with it and we war with it and then we fail and we wonder why we don't change it all and all of us struggle to read God's word. And what he's saying here is when you immerse yourself in God's world, you want word, you want something different for yourself. You want something different. It warns us from danger, it exposes sin. Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you engaged in the Bible? Are you reminding yourself that God's word is to give you a revived soul? Wisdom, joy, that it's supposed to be sweet like honey. Do you think of God himself as reliable? Or is he the one who has not come through for you? Do you long to hear God talk to you? He has spoken to us in his word, in the inspired word of God. That means it was breathed out by the mouth of God. But he also speaks to us in illumination, meaning as we read God's breathed out word, that we're illuminated with God's insight by the Holy Spirit as to what he wants, not just us generally, but you specifically to do or to be convicted by or to be encouraged by. Part of what makes the Bible so difficult to read is that we think it's some sort of litmus test to measure our commitment to Jesus. And we just keep coming up short. The Bible is not a measure of your commitment to Jesus. It's a conclusive evidence of Jesus' commitment to you. Rather than read and find in it all the things you haven't done, read so that you can find all of the things He has done for you. And that leads us to our last point, that God speaks through his son. So God speaks through his world, his general revelation and creation. God speaks through his word, the scriptures that he has given us in the Old and New Testament. And lastly, and most significantly, God speaks through us through his son. He wants you to know him. I want you to glance with me in verses 7 through 14 and see what word you hear over and over again. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true altogether. Over and over again, do you hear it? Continuing, the Lord, the Lord. But in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew here, what he's saying is Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God wanted his people the Israelites, his covenant people that he had a special relationship with, the ones that he had rescued, it was a name that he wanted them to use for him as if it's this intimate personal name. My nieces and nephews are coming into town today to help celebrate Christmas and the new year. And when my 
niece who's, I think now 15, when she was little, when she would say Jared, she, all it would come out is Dez. Dez. And they'd be like, here's your uncle, here's your uncle, here's your, and here's Jared. And they'd be like, Dez. Every time. Well, as she got older, she could say Jared. And so she, kept, she would try and say, Uncle Jared, Uncle Jared. And I would be like, you cannot call me that. You gave me this very special nickname, Dez. You and all the other nieces and nephews have to call me this. It's our thing. It's our name together. It's Dez. And what God is saying here is that we have this special relationship with him, that he wants us to call him our covenant God, the one who is faithful, the one who rescued them from Egypt, the one who dwells among them, the one who keeps coming closer and closer until ultimately he sends his son for them. God wants you to know him. He wants you to be known by him. There's several passages that point to this, but I'll just point you to one. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, says this, One day God would send another messenger. Everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. God wants us to know him in Christ. Look with me in verses 11 and then 13 and 14. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And he says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We tend to think of God's word as something that is going to beat us down. And yet David lays the responsibility of on God of keeping us holy. Lord, you're the one who has to work on my mouth and the meditations of my heart that they would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Even in the Old Testament, even David knew that he was going to need God in order to be faithful to God. And so God ultimately sends Jesus and says, you know a little bit about me because of this glorious world I've created. You know about me because of the word that I've given you specifically as my covenant people, and you know the most about me because of my son, who with his dying breath says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to know what God is like? Look at the face of Jesus. That he's not this resentful, angry, overbearing father, but that instead he moves towards you in your sin and your brokenness because that's exactly what Jesus does. When we change how we think, how we feel about the Bible, it will begin to transform how we think and feel that Jesus feels about us. It'll begin to be this thing that he wants for us. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to exist for the sake of others. That it's not a burden. That he's kindly making us more like our Savior Jesus. 
when you want to make a point, you call in the big guns. In a different church, in a different ministry, I was about to make a hire. It was just sort of like a discipleship coordinator. It's sort of like Ben and Marnie's jobs pushed together, and, and we wanted to go and find the best person possible. And once we went and found her, she was already occupied at another job, but we really wanted her. And so I went, and I got two of the other pastors, and we showed up at her house at 8 o'clock at night and knocked on the door, and she opens the door, and there's three pastors sitting there, and we're like, can we come in? It was supposed to be this like really honoring moment that these pastors had been, but it, instead it ended up feeling like gangsters bullying this, this woman on her own. But the point was is that when you want somebody to know how much you want them, you send someone that matters. You send an ambassador who will communicate how important and serious this is. And God says, you want to know how I feel about you? I will send you the very best. I will send you someone who is significant, someone that you will know he is like me. Friends, we have to change the way that we think about holiness, about God's word. Instead of something that we have to do, it's something that we get to do. It's something that instead of what we should be, it's what we finally get to be. When we stop thinking of being holy and reading God's words as very disgusting vitamins and start thinking of it as a transformed life for the sake of others, then we'll be able to be a blessing and grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that you speak in your world and in your word and most powerfully in your Son. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we think you sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins and make us feel bad. We know that you have so much more for us. You want us to live a life of love and sacrifice. That you want us to read the Bible not because we have to, but because we get to. Would you transform our hearts? Would you bless us and fill us with grace and your Holy Spirit so that we want to be the kind of people who get to introduce our God to the world that we're confident that they'll love him because we know what Jesus is like. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.